When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. I met today's guest about 14 years ago during my tenure at the Construction Industries Premier Professional Association, CMAA. Her journey over the past 14 years can only be described in one word, impressive. Palmina Whalen has done so many things so very well. She has worked in the aviation industry for over 25 years and brings a diversified focus in programming, planning, design, and construction in the real estate environment. As principal of Palmila Whalen Strategic Solutions, Palmina works to align individuals and groups with competing interests through building and cultivating relationships, resulting in successful projects. She currently sits on the CMAA and WC boards, is a CMAA fellow, and has been inducted into the National Academy of Construction. She has just been appointed the Capital Program Director for the New York Terminal 1 project at JFK Airport in New York. Previously, Palmina was a Managing Director at American Airlines and led a $6 billion portfolio of capital construction projects through airport master planning and development programs for the Northeast, Dallas, and Central regions of the United States and Canada. Throughout her career, Palmina has been recognized for her achievements by a wide range of organizations, including the Women's Building Council, the United States House of Representatives Office of Senator Joseph P. Adabo, the Office of the President of the Borough of Queens, the Council of the City of New York, the Rockaway Development and Revitalization Corporation, and the Society of American Military Engineers, and that's just a small sampling. Palmito, welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast. Thank you, Dennis. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. It really is. God, you know, you've done nothing for the last 14 years. Absolutely nothing. You've been sitting around doing nothing. I have been working on my tan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just knew there was going to be some serious laughing in this conversation. So I'm going to start with your recent appointment as Capital Program Director at JFK. A huge, significant, probably the marquee project in the aviation industry as it gets underway. What I'm interested in is, uh, again, just for you to characterize it, and if I'm not correct in the way I described it, correct me to say what it really is to the aviation industry and to the city of New York as well. As you begin this critical project, how are they considering the future needs of people in how they are designing and planning to build this complex? And how are they thinking about how technologies of all types will facilitate what I guess I would generally describe as a safe and enjoyable experience for the people that will use that airport? So Dennis, let me start by saying that I feel very blessed and privileged to be given the honor to serve on the JFK Terminal 1 program. It's monumental, right? The magnitude, what it represents, what it represents in the aviation sector, both nationally and internationally, is like no other. Hmm. I've you know, recently labeled it as the crown jewel for JFK because it is the largest program here at the JFK campus. The program is set up in such a manner that design considers all elements of walks of life, right? So it is really designed through the elements of a passenger, 
as well as through combined with the elements of an operator. And what I mean when I say that is, so when a passenger comes up to the curbside, we consider access to the curbside, access to, you know, luggage. How do you get through the buildings? How do you get into the directions? How do you know where you're going? You pull up to the curbside, you're going to have curbless sidewalks, which is so unlike New York. Mm. But the intent is to pull out from your car, have same elevation, ADA compliant, PRM friendly, right? Travel user friendly, family friendly. You're not humping over, you know, little bumps here and there. And then intuitively, the way it's designed, it just sets you through your journey inside of Terminal One. If you need to go to the counter, your path would be led to the counter or directly to the security checkpoint. And then once you're in the facility, it intuitively would lead you. And I say intuitively. But it's strategically done with design. It's designed with not only the placement of the equipment, the location of the direction of how the equipment gets you from point to point, but we also do that through the use of art and branding and wayfinding and planting signs in certain locations and then arts in around the wayfinding so that it attracts you to that location, which is essentially a touch point, a direction touch point that you're either going to have to go to or you're interested to get to. Mm-hmm. And so not technology and aviation, I mean, I hate to say this for all that we brag that we're in, you know, all this all new AI world and everything else. It's still, I want to say it lags a little bit behind, but it's because the technology has an affiliation of data entry and it's people's personal information. So we have to be careful in aviation and how we use technology. And none of that can be, it can be abused because it is personal data. But what we have done is if people opt in, because it still is optional, is when you get to the security checkpoint, you can do biometric scanning, right? Free of any type of paperwork or anything of the sort. We have the biometric scanning on the gates. We have different levels of technology that we use purposely to ease the passenger movement and for us to understand where the volumes may be and peaks may be within the terminal. So we'll monitor the amount of cars that pull up to the terminal to make sure that there's enough flow in the term, you know, on the curbside, or if we need to do more road management, we'll monitor the security checkpoint, make sure that people get in process at a timely manner, or if we need to assist or communicate with the TSA, and then also monitor the volume of people. And if there's clusters of people in a certain area, which means one of our reps have to go out to ensure that that cluster is there because they're either attracted to a piece of art and not because they're either lost or confused or, you know, a large group of people that may need assistance. And all of this is taken into consideration. And this is not only on the departure, but the same concept comes back on the arrivals, where we've decided in this program, unlike most, you come out to your arrivals, you're going to come out of Customs and Borders, and you're going to be on the same level as your plane, versus most times you're what people would call the lower level. Some may call a basement, right? Others may have other choice words for it. Um, but we like to ensure that that journey as you come into the state, it, you come off your plane, It's this, there's not this confusion of where do you have to go next. You immediately get into the, what we call the FIS hall and then exit through with the technology assisting you there as well. Wow. You said a lot already. Um, I did. It's in, what's the- I'm what's it? Italian dentist. I know you. But you're doing a good job. Thanks for keeping your hands still. I think it's. Uh, I think I'm, I'm trying. I'm holding them down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, so I, I guess I, I need to go to the to the next next place. That that, that was a great answer to to a, to a good. I think pretty good question because people be interested to hear about this. And, and again, you you confirm you know the absolute magnitude of this of what this project is all about. So it's, it will be to say the least, and 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 therefore you will be highly visible. 
uh, and, uh, and as a woman in the construction industry, uh, talk about that visibility uh, and, and what it means and, uh, and frankly, how, uh, this may not be the exact right way to say it, but it's the way I'm thinking about it. How, how will you use that visibility uh, to try to, um, for lack of a better word, accelerate the necessary, appropriate, and reasonable expansion of opportunities for leadership roles in the construction industry by women? Yeah. So it's interesting because my journey as a female in this industry has had its peaks and valleys. I've entered into the industry market at a time period that there probably weren't a lot of women that were interested in being in the sector, right? Maybe not um, as many engineers, not as many as construction managers, and not a course that was always shared with women as an opportunity, mm-hmm. that this would be of interest, right? And, and a little bit for myself personally, it's a cultural upbringing as well. Um, and I find that as I've evolved through the construction industry, it's been pleasing to know that more and more women have come in. I've spent prior to this role, the last 20 years in aviation, and that was probably the one conduit that opened my eyes to all levels of diversity of, of all, right, of, of, of everyone, but more so the levels of diversity within women and the different roles that they played. So for me, it became a norm, and that norm created an expe- expectation. Mm-hmm. And then the expectations just carry through my everyday life, right? And whether I was clear and conscious or subconsciously when I put my projects out to procurement to ensure there was a different levels of diversity, um, inclusive of women, Right. Whether if I was in a meeting, always making sure there were different levels of diversity, right, mm-hmm. including women. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a it's been a, co- a very conscious goal of mine because I do think that sometimes it's just the lack of knowledge of understanding that the construction industry has evolved. It has changed. There's opportunities. There are women in there, and it's important for myself and organizations that I serve on to have that outreach, let them know that this possibility. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've ever used it where I've gotten, and I'm going to probably use a bad word here because I don't want to sound derogatory, but where I've gotten benefit of it mm-hmm. because in meetings, I'm just a person in the meeting, right? And I still do believe the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just means the best person for the job. And I'm just a person who filled this role who happened to be you know, fortunate to have the opportunity to get to be in this role. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that exactly answered your question. Um, yeah, maybe no, it, you the yeah. latter part, because I'm not sure if I directly answered the latter part of your question. Yeah, no, no, it's no, that's that's good. I, uh, but I'll follow up by by saying that I think uh, I think it's particularly worth uh, noting for the benefit of people that might listen to our conversation um, that uh, uh, that you you live uh, and and w- have worked uh, in a geography. Uh, where uh, the men are louder and stronger in their views uh, about women in, in different positions in all industries, uh, and you've uh, you've managed to uh, to barrel through all that, and and not to do it in a in a harsh or uh, or demanding way. You've done it, uh, and again, I, I've I've observed you from afar. I, I, I was closely observing you for a few years when we were together at CMAA, you as a, as a leader in that organization and my role there. Um, and, you, and you've done it with the, the power of you know, a positive personality, uh, you know, good communication skills, all the things that uh, are not gender specific. Again, they're, they're, they're things that the people that, that are in important leadership roles possess. Um, 
is is that a fair way to to kind of characterize a, a, a little bit more of why it's so uh, worth talking about uh, your particular journey? That is a, that's a very fair comment. I really do believe that if you're going to walk into a space and have a meeting and lead a meeting, then you have to own that environment, right? And that's a general rule of thumb for anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, mm-hmm. um, because to be leaders is is just that. It's to lead. And to lead is to have a sense of belonging. It's to navigate a room. It's to read the environment. And Dennis, you and I have spoken about this to no end. I mean, soft skills is a key. Mm-hmm. And it's it's how do you stay positive, manage the soft skills, but yet be firm in your position. Mm-hmm. And it's a delicate balance. And it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of practice. You don't always get it right at the first shot. But it's like everything else, right? If there's an intent and a desire to be able to formulate that skill, then that skill will formulate mm-hmm. by default of practice, right? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, by the um, by default of the desire to be that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you were to give a little bit of thought, and again, this is a conversation; it's all it's all spontaneous. I, if, I, if I wanted deep deep research done, I would have been sending questions out. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm already enjoying tremendously this conversation, and it's just we're sharing our thoughts. Um, maybe a little more of a, of a direct question that I'm curious about. If you could uh, look back over your career, uh, and let's, let's uh, make it a reasonable span over the last 10 to 15 years of your career, and if I were to ask you to, uh, to buy position and, and relationship, uh, think about an individual who was an important mentor to you uh, or someone that provided you guidance as you move through your career. Um, who might that person be and how? what would you just say about that person that made them so important to you? Dennis, I love this question because people always say, who's that person? For me, it's who are those people? I learn from everyone. And it's, it's very interesting. Are there a handful of people that stick out more than others? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say two of the handful of people were direct, direct bosses who I worked for at American Airlines. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, there's a lesson to be learned from every human being that we interact from. And, it, and I mean every single human being, right? I can learn how to be humbled from different people, how to be smart, how to be strategic, Um, you know, how to improve my soft skills. And it doesn't come from particular people or particular mentor because people focus on this mentee-mentor relationship. For me, it's opening up the dynamics of my brain, right? Being receptive and willing to hear what people have to say that are specifically saying it from how I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. Because I I can toot my own horn and I can drink my own Kool-Aid and I can make myself sound great to myself. Mm-hmm. But what's going to be more important is understanding how other people perceive me, understanding how other people think, because through that knowledge, I'm only getting wiser. And I, and in my opinion, I'm becoming a better leader mm-hmm. because then it allows me as a person to be able to truly understand the dynamics of a room or a situation, right? Or an environment. Mm-hmm. So my, my mentors are people who I interact with, whether they're my bosses, whether they're my employees, 
um, whether they're colleagues, whether they're people who run organizations, right? Whether they're, they, some of my, some of my mentors has even been my nieces as young as 20 years old, mm-hmm. right? Because they've taught me how to think differently than I would normally at this age. Mm-hmm. So I really, for myself, it's a group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's, and for me, it's consistently transitioning because as we, I don't want to say get older because I will be 25 for the rest of my life, but as some of us age, <laughs> Um, we enter different, you know, different parts of our lives. And as some of us um, develop more of our social skills or our professional skills, we enter different parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's always really important for me to be aware of those people around me at that current time that can serve as my mentor. Mm-hmm. As you know, from you know, you know, following a little bit of what I do and hear me, hearing me talk or hearing people talk about me talking about soft skills, which I which I describe as not really being skills. What they really are is a person's qualities, attributes, their behaviors, a manifestation of their personal values. That's what soft skills are all about. Um, so, with with that as a description, um, and again, you're you're a person that has a, a very a very wide. Uh, swath of humility in you, and that's one of the reasons you've been so successful. Um, and, and even even your answer to my question by not singling out one or two individuals and talking about people that have come through your life. Um, if if someone were to ask about you, um, uh, what do you think Palmina's uh, greatest qualities are? Um, take yourself outside of you for a moment, and 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 tell me what people might say about you. That's a really good question. I really have to answer it. You really do. Yeah, I really do. Okay. Um, Today, in fact, today. Today. Um, Well, I'm going to stick with the professional environment because I know what my friends would say about me. (laughs) 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 Um, I think for the most part, if people had to talk about, if they had to explain me in a certain manner, I have been told a lot in in our design build industry, right, our design construction industry, that I'm, if nothing else, fair and reasonable. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I take a lot of pride in that because there's something to be said in an industry that's so competitive, um, that's always fighting against the clock, that's always fighting against the budget. That's uh, and especially in aviation, when you're working in a dynamic, usually operational facility while you're trying to, you know, manage and build on top of people to be fair and reasonable is a very, very huge compliment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a lot of people insist that many things about the culture, the construction industry have not changed from as far back as 20 years ago, uh, that uh, as opposed to being uh, a truly uh, collaborative industry uh, where the stakeholders in major projects like your Capital One project uh, build a build a culture for that team uh, and learn about each other and build uh, relationships and come to trust one another that uh, we are still very adversarial and that adversarial relationship is is embodied in, in today still how contracts are written what do you have to say about all of that and the, and the, what i say is a fairly fairly reasonable uh, continued view of the construction industry let me start off by saying dennis that i'm one of those managers that manage from behind right i may my, my name may be on the top of the list but the people that are below the list are all the people that do all the hard work mm-hmm. that filter up. So I'd like to manage from behind to allow those people and those individuals to be in key roles and to make the decisions they need to make. Mm-hmm. And this concept of collaboration is really important for me. It was an initiative that when I was at American Airlines, this form of alliancing and partnering to remove that adverse 
adverse environment, to remove the silos, to ease the minds of the contractor was always a key focus. So much, so much so, and it was supported by my boss, is that I was able to create a third-party agreement where contractually we were tied in as one unit, the contractor, the owner, and the architect. Mm -hmm. So this mindset, this mind shift has been in my world for almost, I want to say 10 to 12 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other way. Mm -hmm. And here at JFK Terminal One or other programs, um, there is a similar mind shift. And a lot of it has to do with the way contracts are written. Mm -hmm. But despite the contracts written in the terms, the common goal is always to get to the finish line. And I'm happy to say that our team here has worked in collaboration, right? We work hand in hand with each one as a design build. And by default of that contract, mm -hmm. we're forced to be with each other. And we're mm -hmm. really forced to serve as a unit. Mm -hmm. But what I did learn more, what was really interesting is when I was implementing the IPD contracts during my tenure at American, is I found that the trades, the subcontractors were the most appreciative because it identified their course of work, right? It identified um, their labor allowances and it identified when the project was really going to get done so they can go on to the next project. Mm -hmm. Because the trades by, by, by default sometimes holds a lot more of the responsibilities, right? Because it all filters down. Mm -hmm. I think that we've evolved in the industry. I think that from infant, you know, to childhood to adulthood, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can speak for every sector that's mm -hmm. out there. I know that in the aviation sector, by default of the nature of the environment, the dynamics and the codependencies of everyone, we've evolved mm -hmm. because it's the only way to survive and it was the only way to finish a project and mm -hmm. to get it operationally. And in the aviation sector, if you don't open up your terminal, you don't open up the gate, that is literally a revenue that you're taking out of your pocket. Everyone loses, mm -hmm. not only the owner, but the concessionaire, Right. The Port Authority, everyone loses. Mm -hmm. I talk about uh, I talk about love. Um, mm -hmm. I, I learned uh, a fair amount about it from my mentor, who wrote, actually wrote the forward to my book, a guy named Steve Farber. Um, more recently, I heard uh, I heard I read in an article uh, four words that uh, both Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs uh, used to to explain to people what they needed to do to be successful. And those four, four words are, love what you do. Does that, do those four words convey to you? Do they mean something to you? I love what I do. I absolutely love mm -hmm. what I do. Why? It's a really good question. Well, I love working with people. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to aid people and get people to a place where they can make decisions and then they can see the impact of their decision. Mm -hmm. Building is tangible. You actually can touch and feel as it evolves, right? You can take it through different stages, through concept, through design, and then literally through construction, and then you can operate out of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I say, I love what I do in the aviation sector. We build airports, airports connect people. Mm -hmm. They take people from cities or states, right? Countries. And it touches senses into people. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, whether you're nervous flying, but still so excited to be there or excited to go see a family or you're going to a wedding or you're going out with friends on vacation or you're doing a family vacation, or even if it's, even if there's sad moments, right? There is this, we build a conduit so people can get from one location to the next location 
to hope, you know, in hopes that they're going for happy moments. And if it is unfortunate moments in hopes that they're going to be able to embrace others, right. That they would normally not be able to do over social media format, mm -hmm. you know, forums. Um, and it, and it becomes a tangible experience. So not only does the construction become tangible, but what the buildings represent then also becomes tangible and there's a sense of humanity to it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a, it's a beautiful blend of doing something technical and then getting to see the humanity aspects of it and mm -hmm. see how it operates and, and what it represents to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, on the front of, uh, of talking about inclusion, uh, Again, the, the, the latest terminology is uh, DE&I, uh, diversity, mm -hmm. equity, inclusion. You may have noticed when I talk about my four elements, I talk about inclusion and social justice, which in essence is, is maybe the same thing. Um, but how how's your project approach uh, trying to do everything that they can reasonably uh, in order to try to bring about uh, a recognition of the need to be diverse in the workforce uh, and, and inclusive? How how are you accomplishing that? Well, the project JFK Terminal One, I'm happy to say, contracts wide, we're at forty percent diversity. Wow, it's huge. Our goal was thirty. We've exceeded by forty. And we continue to try to try to reach for the stretch goal. So I'm really proud of the work that this team has done. I'm proud of the work that JFK Terminal One has done, that the Airport Authority has done, that the design builders and you know and the architects within JFK Terminal One within our corporation, right within the setup of this program, we have a dedicated diversity team. And it is we ensure that every contract has the participation, and this is not good faith. Right. There's mm -hmm. this good faith for us is not, it's really not an option. Mm -hmm. um, and as you can see with 40% outreach, that's huge. Mm -hmm. So it is the continuous of ensuring that each contract has diversification application to it. It's ensuring that we continue through community outreach, which we do on every RFP that's issued. Um, it's ensuring that we also, you know, advocate with the community in the outreaches, you know, with them. Mm -hmm. um, and ensuring that we give them the ability and the knowledge. So we have a website that's set up that will do a full outreach to anyone who's certified with the port that's registered with our team, and they'll know how to register because it's in the Port Authority's portal. Mm -hmm. And any RFP that's come out, the outreach will go out, we'll, we'll have a forum, and it'll be an open opportunity for anyone who's qualified, right, who has those qualifications to do the work. Yeah. Most of the work that's happening is a skill set, Dennis, so this is really exciting for us to see. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's worked out really well. We're really, we're really proud of it. That's true. That, 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 that sounds and feels like a big number. Uh, so congratulations on that. And uh, thank you. Because again, uh, 14 years ago, when we when we were seeing each other on a regular basis, uh, we were struck. They were, they were struggling. Uh, even some of the bigger owner agencies in New York, uh, whether it was the Port Authority or the Housing Authority, they were they were struggling to get uh, minority participation at that time. Now we call, talk, talk about diversity, which just recognizes. Uh, and and I, as I like to say, uh, when I talk, I, I ask a question. A lot of audiences, I ask them to kind of look around the room that they're sitting in, and uh, and the question is, what's one thing that you have in common with every other person that you're uh, that you're sitting here with in this room today, or any room you go into, or any place you go, 
uh, and I give them about five seconds to come up with the answer, and then I give them the answer. And the answer is that you're different from every person in this room, uh, that there are no two people that are alike. Uh, and uh, and that's, that should be a good news feature, because that may mean that uh, if they're different, then maybe they're going to be interesting to me, uh, as opposed to what we both know is, is really the historical cultural pattern, and that is that for, for my generation, uh, differences are potentially a problem. Um, we, we, see, we see someone doesn't look like me, to put it bluntly, uh, and, and that's potentially a problem because, you know, when I was growing up, this or that, again, talking about the whole idea that, you know, who we are today and how we view differences is a function of, of, uh, of everything we've learned and experienced from the time we were born until, you know, essentially this very moment. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, based on things that we learned and things that we saw or heard as we were growing up, uh, everyone's got some degree of implicit or unconscious bias uh, about individuals or groups of individuals. And that's one of the challenges we're dealing with today. Um, do, you, do you feel like your success in achieving participation by firms that provide you a greater inclusion? Do you feel that you've gotten past that hurdle in terms of the spirit of your program? Well, for the spirit of the program, I don't think there was unconscious bias. The program itself is made up of full diversified executive team, PMO team, boards, sponsors. Mm -hmm. And it really represents the fabric of the neighborhood that we're in. And Dennis, I was born and raised in Queens. I'm first generation. Diversity has always been part of my circle. It's been part of my DNA, yeah. right? For all intended purposes, I'm a diversified person. Mm -hmm. You know, being a female, being first generation, English being my second language. But our program, our community, our mindset, we breathe the fabric of Queens. The fabric of Queens is full diversification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and my niece once said it really well. I said, well, what did you learn in school today? And she said, well, that everybody is part of the rainbow color, mm. right? That there's a color somewhere in there and everybody has a color. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is a really great way to mm -hmm. say it, right? So I do feel like we are a color of rainbows here. Like yeah. we are those colors. And yeah. it's proud to be part of this program. It's proud to be part of this landscape, but not only for D&I, but for everything it represents to the community, yeah. right? It represents jobs it represents growth it represents longevity right it represents rebirth mm -hmm. i mean so for all that it represents it makes me really proud to serve on the project yeah absolutely so the other set of thoughts around this notion about love again which i talk about quite a bit my mentor said in his first book that he wrote i think probably 21 years ago his name is steve farber i talk about him in virtually every conversation i have because of the following that he said in that book. He said, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Do what you love in the service of people that love what you do. I mean, I think it encapsulated what I'm hearing in your words. I think it resonates with you. Yes. And when I think about that and the simplicity, but the power of that, you know, basically the idea is it reminds us that we are humans and that we're all different, but our opportunity is to be of service to people whether it's in a community volunteer base within a religious institution like a church community or in our careers and our jobs. I like to say that every business, regardless of if it's a, a product that's manufactured and drop shipped to a location or people performing services, every business actually is a service business and they serve people. Correct. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah. If you kind of use that as your lens, it does give you the opportunity to see each day a little differently 
And you responded immediately when I gave you the, the Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs words that you've got to love what you do. And that really is kind of the capstone thought for this conversation is I feel that I hear that in you. Your energy is incredible. And I'm just grateful we had an opportunity to spend some time together. And I wish we had more time. And maybe you're very, very busy. But, you know, if I come to New York sometime, I'll try to find you. Well, I'm sitting at JFK now, so I'll be easy to find. <laughs> yeah, I get Oh, that's true. Yeah. What's the overall timeline? When is the first passenger going to go through that terminal? June, well, early summer. I like to say early summer 2026. We're targeting for June. Which isn't that far away. No, it's uh, not. Yeah. And you're going to be very, very busy between now and then, aren't you? I'm going to be very, very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't sad at me. <laughs> yeah. It's been an interesting byproduct of my deciding to do this podcasting and reaching out to people that I knew 14 years ago and them agreeing to visit with me. But it seems like we just saw each other talk the other day. And I had the same feeling when I talked to Sandy, I had the same feeling when I talked to Rebecca. It's so gratifying and also just is a good feeling. So thank you so much for coming and visiting with me on the Softest Steel podcast. Thank you for having me, Dennis. This was wonderful. Good. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.